Would you stand with me, friends, as we read this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, looking specifically this morning at verse 11. Again, this is the Lord's word. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, our Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that your blessing be upon your servant and upon these, your people. We pray, Lord, for your spirit's presence causing your word to be effective for that which you have designed. And we ask, O Lord, that you would keep the evil one from stealing away the seed of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would um, cause Christ to be magnified in our hearts now and in our lives. And we pray that you would cause the kingdom of Satan great injury. You humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today, we're coming back to this section of scripture to draw to the conclusion what the Apostle Paul has been instructing the believers in Colossae and the Lycus Valley. The false teachers there had been promoting a man-centered, flesh-driven salvation, which is no salvation at all. The Apostle here is reminding, um, reminding these saints that Christ alone is our only hope of salvation. In him... We are declared to be righteous. He alone is our sufficiency. Again, listen to what he writes, the apostle does, in Colossians 2, 10 through 14. He had said this, And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. My friends, Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough for us. Having said this, um, knowing that Christ is enough and he is sufficient to make us right with the Father, we are not yet 
what we will be. We are not yet what we will be. We brought this out several weeks back. Every Christian, every believer in Jesus Christ is at the same time both just and sinful. We have been declared righteous in Christ, and yet we are miserably sinful in practice. Or as John pointed out this morning, Francis Schaeffer uh, describing what is man. He's glorious, and he's a wreck, or he's a ruin. It's, it's, a, it's a strange phenomena that we see in the body of Christ. And the apostle here has written to exhort the saints to be in practice what they are in principle. This is every Christian struggle, to be in practice what we are already in principle. Are you a Christian? Then you must aspire, strive to live in this way. They are to keep seeking the things above, is what Paul had told them. Their minds are to be fixed upon Christ, their risen and glorious Savior, remembering always whose they are and now what they are in him and how they are to view their lives in this world and how they are to view the members of their earthly bodies. He had said to them that they were to put to death whatever belonged to their earthly nature. And he lists these, he gives two lists in verses 5 and 8, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, and to put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse, and abusive speech from their mouths. Why? Because you've been set free from these things. Knowing this, Paul would write in Romans 6, 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. A slave is someone who is under the authority, the, the, the mastership of another. And at one point prior to Christ, we were as slaves of sin. We did what our master instructed. You are no longer, Christian, a slave of sin. And so we are not to live in this manner any longer. He says, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that as believers in Christ, we are new creatures. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We have, by reason of our union with Christ, by faith in him, we have, as Paul would say in verse 9b and 10, we have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. All excuses that I shouldn't have to do this or I can't help myself because of this are all invalid. You've been set free from sin's domination over you. Now the Lord commands us to be what we are in Christ. And yes, it is hard. It is a struggle. Oftentimes it's two steps forward and one step or three steps backwards, um, but we have the Lord, we have his spirit, we have his word, and we have the means of grace, the word, the sacrament, prayer, and fellowship. We are not alone in our struggles, and we come alongside and we help. Again, in Christ, you have put on the new self as opposed to the old self. What we were, what we were under Adam, we are no longer to be... Um, we are not to be any longer what we were prior to being born again. The new self is being renewed, says Paul. 
This is good news. The result is that being, um, being a removal of distinctions is a result of this renewal that comes about in the believer's life. Um, the new life we have in Christ transforms how we view ourselves and how we view others. Listen again to what he says. Um, he says in verse 9, Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And in verse 11, it says, A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. And he lists out these distinctions. A renewal in which there is no distinction. Some of you, as you read your Bibles, are missing the words that I'm reading. Um, And this is where, this is a prime example of how you see different translations translate things. Um, The NIV reads this way. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And this is same, it's the same or similar in the ESV or the New King James Version. The translators of the New American Standard Bible, the, the version that I use, have inserted these words to give it a clearer read in English, capturing, I believe, the point of the passage. A renewal in Christ results in something significant for the body of Christ, the church. This renewal, as we pointed out several weeks back, is a word peculiar to the Apostle Paul. Properly speaking, it means to cause to grow up, uh, to grow up new or to make new. And if you were to think of the word renovation, you you hear renewal, you think renovation. We've all seen the HGTV television shows or you've been involved in renovations. You start with one thing and you slowly morph it into something else. This is exactly what's happening with the Christian. He starts here, a man or a woman under Adam. He comes to faith in Christ And slowly, over time, you see things are changed in that individual. And so the Christian is being renovated from his old way of thinking and living. He is being renewed, being given a new kind of life as opposed to his former corrupt state. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. In other words, the better we know the Lord, the longer we walk with him, we are transformed into the image of Christ. We look less and less like fallen Adam, and we look more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. This renewal or this renovation, therefore, affects how we view or think of ourselves and others around us, a primary point of change. A renewal in which there is no distinction This gospel, this union with Christ, affects how we view ourselves and others. And we must not miss the significance of what this means for us in our day. We have heard and hear almost daily now in the news about racism. I've asked those, and it's it's not a comprehensive or an official um, study uh, for sure. I was a child in the 60s, a little child in the 60s. I was not concerned about social and cultural things. Uh, Some of you were teenagers, young adults in the 60s. 
And I have often asked people who graduate, and I'll often ask this, something like, when did you graduate high school? If they say, like, 1968, then I follow up with questions about the summer of love or hate Ashbury or Woodstock in 69. I ask questions. I'm fascinated by what was going on culturally at this time. And my recollection as a child, I do remember uh, All in the Family, shows like All in the Family and the Jeffersons and things like this. And I remember racism being an issue that was being addressed. And I always thought that racism was really a very bad thing until I asked people who came through then and I asked, is it worse then or was it worse then or is it worse today? And without exception of the people I've asked, again, not a comprehensive study, they all say, oh, it's by far worse today than it was back then. I'm not sure why, but that's, that's the, the answer I have typically gotten. We have minority groups who are angry with whites. And by the way, I am, I'm bringing up things. Um, in, in case you're thinking, oh, he's going to avoid these, I'm not avoiding it. Um, we have issues in our nation for sure. Minority groups angry with whites. We have Black History Month, National Women's Day, racism, sexism, ageism, elitism, the haves versus the have-nots and vice versa. And I'm not here to deny that any of these things exist. I don't believe that uh, we can maintain credibility if we just deny that these things, oh, you know, racism isn't a problem. Of course racism is a problem. Of course it is. It's always been a problem. Why do we think the United States is exempt from racism? Are we exempt from sin? Are we, are we exempt from sexism in the United States? Of course we're not. Sexism is a problem. Women have been abused by men. Men have been abused by women. You surprised to hear me say that? It goes both ways. It's called sin. This is what's going on. We have these problems. So I'm not here to deny it. Um, I'm not here to say that these aren't terrible things, but let's not fall prey to other lies, such as whites only have been racist. No one will ever convince me that's, that's true because I lived in Miami where I was a minority. I witnessed American blacks treat blacks from Haiti very poorly. And I watched Spanish-speaking Mexicans speak poorly of Spanish-speaking Cubans because their Spanish was coarse and not as refined. So now you have blacks and now you have Spaniards and now we have whites. Is there any group that's exempt from racism. Is there any sex that's exempt from racism? Is, is anyone not struggle with coveting your neighbor's house, wife, manservant, maidservant, ATV, truck, horse, trailer? These are universal problems. These are problems for human beings because we're fallen human beings. I don't recall uh, any day of a month celebrating whites or men. But we're okay if we set aside a day a month for a, a, an individual or, or a particular person or, 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 or a color of, of humanity. We vote for a man based on the color of his skin and not based on his character. That's a problem, friends. That is racism. 
We're not doing anyone any good by ignoring. You never solve abuse with abuse. Never happens. Never happens. I'm not defending or justifying abuse of any kind, but those who push distinctions, especially in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are promoting the devil's agenda. Let me say it again. Those who push distinctions to be maintained in the body of Christ are pushing the devil's agenda. And I will clarify in a little bit. They are answering abuse with abuse. They are responding to evil with evil, a direct contradiction of the Lord's teaching in Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we have to be realistic about things. There are distinctions. The Apostle Paul, if there were no distinctions, the Apostle Paul's words following this would not have any standing at all. But listen to what he says. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all in all. There are distinctions. That's the reality. But let's talk about these distinctions for a moment. These things that we tend to either look down upon somebody or we tend to idolize somebody. Paul would write in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 10, or 15.10, he would say this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me remind you again. And I am what I am. And it is by the grace of God, not by a curse, not because he's withdrawn kindness, but because of his grace, you are what you are, just as the Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Listen to what Paul was. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He says this in Philippians 3. We discussed some time back uh, these next verses from Psalm 139. And I want to point these things out because I think this is a, this is a huge area where we are, as Christians, falling into pits because we're not thinking biblically on these things. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you, were, you wove me, in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully. Skillfully, now, not haphazardly, not carefully, but you were skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, says the psalmist, have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That's Psalm 139, 13 through 16. My friends, the Lord has determined both your sex and your skin color. That's the Lord who did that, and he did it because of his grace. If you're a black man, you're not cursed. It was God. In fact, tonight, as we come back to Acts in chapter 13, do you realize there are prophets and teachers that have been given to the church? And Luke records that there are two, we believe, black men that are being referred to 
Luke has no problem with them being black. Some scholars believe Augustine of Hippo was a black man because Hippo is in northern Africa. Was he, well, he was cursed, obviously. No, he wasn't. Where, where do we come up with this nonsense? But this is the way we think, and, 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 and we, have, we have these things like, like oh, 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 he's a black man, well, I'm just inferior. Stop that. That's just not true. And Christians shouldn't, shouldn't perpetuate these kinds of wrong statements. That's not true. Your sex, male or female, only those two, God determined those things skillfully. Not haphazardly, not carelessly. He didn't step away for a coffee break while your parts were going down the assembly line. He puts you together the way he wants you. And it was by his grace that he did this. And it is God who determines, furthermore, our place and times in history. Paul on Mars Hill. And we've covered these things. But I'm reminding you again because it ties in uh, quite decently with the whole idea of distinctions. It is God who determines our place and times. Again, Paul says in Mars Hill, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined, having determined, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And should I get more picky? That he also determines our vocations, our callings. So Jeremiah, the prophet, the Lord says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. My friends, that's true of every single person in the world, that the Lord determines what we are supposed to do with our lives. And so this nonsense of Oh, just follow your heart, follow your dreams. You, you parents want to do your children a favor rather than telling them that they can be anything they want to be. How about you discover what the Lord has made them and where do they shine and how about you encourage them and nurture them in the things that they have a propensity or a proclivity to. You see, that would be discovering, looking at, so to speak, God's fingerprints on this child and saying, what has the Lord made this child to be, and how can I encourage them in this, push them down this path, rather than just letting them get hundreds of thousands of dollars to come out of a university so that they can go hang clothes on a clothes rack in some retail store. We have to be more thoughtful of these things. Paul says this, um, now, let me back up. If, if these things are true, and they are, what does this mean about boasting? Can I boast in the color of my skin? I had nothing to do with it, I assure you. I had nothing to do with whether I was born a male or a female. I had nothing to do with it. It's what God did. I didn't choose Dave and Donna Strong. God put me there. The fifth of seven children. It's just what was, and it's what's given, and you take what the Lord gives you, and you use it for the glory of God. So where's boasting, and, and who can take credit 
And why should anyone feel guilty? You had nothing to do with it. So stop apologizing and stop feeling guilty for your skin color. You can take credit for nothing. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? He's speaking of spiritual gifts, but doesn't it apply to everything? Everything we have comes from the Lord. No one has any room to boast. We have no reason to feel guilty. But the old self, the unregenerate self, the earthly man, he makes these distinctions. That's what we see going on in the world. I'm not black. I'm not much. I'm a minority. I'm not much. I'm not like the white guy sitting over there. He's got it all together. He's got everything. He's got nothing. He's been given everything he's been given. He has no reason to boast. No reason, likewise, to feel guilty. This is ludicrous what's going on in our culture. And it shouldn't be this way, but it is this way because this is what we do in the world. We make distinctions among ourselves. And we say, I'm better than you because. Or you're worse than me because. James points this out in James 2, 3, and 4. You pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? My friends, as an aside, understand who you are and what God has made you to be. And rather than coveting and complaining about it, start giving thanks for it. Thank the Lord for what he has done rather than complaining about it. Understand he has a purpose for you in his plan for his glory. He has a purpose for you in his world and he has a purpose for you in everything he has done for his kingdom. Now, and I'm not going down this path, but I will say this. This verse does not do away with roles of men or women or slave or free. There are roles that are to be played and time will not allow me uh, to address this at this moment. But I'm happy to talk about it afterwards. The Lord does not obliterate the roles. But this idea of recognizing distinctions and then esteeming these distinctions as though I'm better, that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, as we'll see. While we see and while we recognize that these distinctions exist in the world, the Christian who is in the process of being renewed or renovated into the image of Christ no longer views himself or takes pride in nor has guilt over such distinctions such as they are. Paul breaks down these distinctions into three categories. They are racial and religious, cultural and social. Again, listen to what he says in verse 11. Uh, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. First, this racial and religious distinction. Uh, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. This was a problem in the, in the church in Colossae. Uh, 
the false teachers emphasize these distinctions. To be a truly righteous person, you must become a Jew. You must become circumcised. You must bear in your flesh certain characteristics. Sometimes we fall prey to this mindset as well. The individual without a pedigree, out of a, uh, someone coming out of a raucous background, is not quite as good, as desirable, say, as other finer Christians. We could like you better if you, were, if you fit the model of what we think a good Christian should be. And so we make these distinctions, and we turn our noses up at them. And, and by the way, it goes the other way, too. I worked at a short-term crisis center, and it was very interesting. You remember um, that, that uh, lifeboat illustration? If there were a Hollywood actress and a brain surgeon and a chef and a garbage man all floating in a lifeboat at sea and you had to toss one of them off, who would you toss? And you go, well, of course you toss the garbage man because, you know, you don't have any garbage on the boat. Um, but, but, but then someone else says, no, 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 you toss the Hollywood actress off because she's pretty, but she has no brains. You see, and we started making distinctions like this, and it was really an interesting little exercise as people tried to, well, what's valuable? What I thought was interesting is that it didn't just go one way, but that covetousness and this idea of I should determine who's better or who's not as good as me starts to come into the, the, the formula. And you find that it's a, it's a problem for all of humanity. We do this. We sit around and we make distinctions among ourselves about who's worthwhile and who's not worthwhile. And why they're worthwhile and why they're not worthwhile. And why they probably couldn't be a Christian or why they probably shouldn't be a Christian. And we make these sinful distinctions. And this is going on in the church. And this is what the false teachers were promoting. So there was these racial and religious distinctions. And then they made cultural distinctions. And this is interesting. As he brings up barbarians and Scythians. Among the pagans, there were distinctions. I may be a barbarian, says one guy. He's not a Greek, either by birth or culture, and therefore this barbarian is considered an uncultured man. I may not be a barbarian, but at least, at least I'm not a Scythian. And one commentator said this, By reputation, an uncultured slave was a Scythian. They were a slave class drawn from tribes around the Black Sea, Scythians were, were ridiculed in Greek comedy because of their uncouth ways and speech, and Josephus referred to them as being little better than wild beasts. And so you got barbarians saying, stay away from me, to the Scythian. <laughs> You're bad news. You're going to ruin my already bad reputation and make it worse. And so they're making distinctions among themselves. And then finally, there was this social distinction between a slave and a free man. A free man had certain privileges that a slave did not. The slave was viewed, according to the law, not as a person, but as a piece of property. He was a living tool. And so in the church, you've got people coming into the church, and someone says, I'm a free man, I'm a slave. Oh. And you want to make this distinction. You know what's fascinating? We had an elder down in Miami, wonderful elder, wonderful friend, and he drove a school bus for the Miami-Dade School District for 30 years. 
He had long hair from the hippie era. Didn't get to go to Vietnam because he had a hernia. He said, thanks, I'll take my hernia and take my life and keep it right here in southern Florida. And he had this long hair, and he's, he's bigger than life, a small man, small stature, just but a big personality. And people go, you know, he drives a school bus part-time. Do you really think he's elder material? He said, yeah, yeah, I think he is. But you see, he didn't fit the distinctions we make about what makes for a good leader in the church. This man didn't fit the model. Fantastic man. So again, this is how we make these distinctions in the church. But Christ changes how we view others. I want you to consider this, how the Lord looks at all these various skin colors and statuses and and cultural differences. We're told in Romans 10, 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Or in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then Galatians 3, 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I can no longer look down as a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ being renovated and my mind being changed. I cannot look at my brother or sister in the pew and say, he's no longer worthwhile. I can't make that distinction. Because if I make that, mis- uh, that distinction, I'm clearly going against Jesus Christ who does not make that distinction. I cannot look upon my neighbor because of his or her difference as though there is something inferior about them or something unworthy that makes them beneath the reach of God's grace nor that makes me think that I'm entitled to grace more nor am I to view myself with disdain as though I am somehow trailer trash and think that the church is simply for white folk, rich folk, or elite folks. Can't do it. And anything that goes down that path is clearly out of line with our understanding of what Jesus Christ has done. My friends, the church is for sinners. The church is for those who come to Christ, who have their sins forgiven, who he himself abounds in riches for all who call on him, who are all made to drink of one spirit, who are all made one in Christ Jesus. What matters now, friends, is not who or what you are, But what matters is Christ. Christ is all, says Paul, and in all. Christ is all and in all. This is not a pantheistic statement. He is not saying that Christ is the mountains, the trees, or a babbling brook. This is not what he is saying, but rather, when he says Christ is all, he means Christ is the all-sufficient Messiah. 
that there is nothing more that is needed, there is nothing that can be added. Your race or your religious pedigree, your cultural background or social standing, they mean absolutely nothing in the church. If you would turn over with me to Philippians chapter 3, listen to what Paul was like prior, prior to the Lord Jesus saving him. He says in verse 4, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Ooh, if anyone had a reason for God to be impressed with him, that was the Apostle Paul, studied under Gamaliel, a brilliant man. That's Paul. Making distinctions. You want distinctions? You want to boast about the flesh? Let's have at it. I'll put it right on the table and I'll beat you hands down. You won't beat my pedigree. That's the Apostle Paul. That's what he was at one point. These false teachers promoted and peddled these very things. They perpetrated these distinctions. You just need a little more to be right with God. But the renewed man does not, does not behave this way. Listen again to the apostle when he says, continuing in in chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what Paul did? These distinctions that I boasted in, that I held to, that I set myself up above everyone else. No longer, no longer. I take no pride in those things because I want Jesus. And Jesus makes these other things look like the actual word is poop. The stuff you step in on a hot summer day in your backyard, you go, ah. That's what he says they were. And that's what they are now in comparison to knowing Christ. That's the renewal that occurs in the man and woman of Christ. That's the renewal that has to happen. He puts no confidence in those things. At one time, he put all his confidence in them. My friends, these distinctions that we carry about, these distinctions that the world celebrates, you come into these doors We're not great, we're not poor, we're not black, we're not white, we're not Asian. We're not Mexican, Latinos. We're not scholarly or ignorant. We're sinners saved by grace, by the grace of God. And those distinctions fall away. He comes and he indwells the man or woman of faith. Red and yellow, black and white. Be they social elites and well-bred like Daniel or Joseph, or if they're a Gideon whose family was the least in Manasseh, and Gideon himself the youngest in his father's house, the Lord was gracious. 
The Lord is gracious. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 86, 5. He says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Listen, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. That's the Lord. Abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. Christ is all and in all his people without distinction. And Christ alone must be our boast and Christ alone must be our only hope. Let me close with these verses from Revelation chapter 7. John writes, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Those are the people of God. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. A God who takes up residence in the hearts of his people. A God who is enough because of Christ who was sufficient to save us without us getting high on ourselves on our past or our deeds or doings Christ is enough Christ is all and Christ in all let's pray we thank you father for your grace and thank you for your word and I pray that you would forgive us for sinful distinctions Forgive us, Lord, when we bring the world into the church. And we pray, Lord, that rather we would take the church into the world, that we would take the gospel into the world. We pray, Lord, that we won't play into the narratives of our day, but that we would recognize whoever comes to Christ has been chosen and saved by you, and they are to be esteemed as a brother or sister. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And now we pray that your blessing be upon your word as it goes. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.